Hi, this is Andy Horn. I'm the director of the Twisted Sister documentary film, We Are Twisted Fucking Sister. And you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Axel Woolley-Pell, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, folks, this is Steve Vai, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. So turn it up. Hey, this is Mark Anthony from The Letter Black, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is AJ Pillow from Twisted Sister, and you're listening to John and Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 226 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I am your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best hard rock, heavy metal, blues, and rock talk on the net. Episode 226, we have joining us filmmaker Andy Horn. Andy's got a new project he's working on called We Are Twisted Blanking Sister, a documentary that he's doing a uh, campaign right now to raise some funds to make the film. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about not only the campaign and the film itself, you know, what it's all about. So we're going to get into that interview in just a moment. Also, we have joining us on the line all the way from Bohem, Germany, we have Axel Rudy Pell, uh, one of my personal favorite uh, rock guitarists, very melodic hard rock, features Johnny Gianelli, who was the singer of Hardline uh, back in the 90s on vocals. Axel had joined us a couple years ago to talk about his last album. He's back with a great new album for 2014. Uh, so we're going to educate you on Axel Rudy Pell. So what we're going to do, we're going to get into that interview with Andy Horn. So here's a little vintage Twisted Sister taking that. Ladies and gentlemen, with me today on the phone, I've got Andrew Horn. Andrew is directing a film about Twisted Sister. Uh, the film's entitled We Are Twisted Fucking Sister. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm pretty well. Yourself? I'm uh, doing good. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Um, well, thank you for uh, for interviewing me. Oh, it's uh, it's a very exciting project. Um, you know, Twisted Sister has been you know a very influential uh, band throughout their time. So it's you know I think high time that you know we see something like this. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting story too. This part of it. Let's uh, let's start from the beginning. How did the uh, the idea for this project come about? Well, it actually came from sort of a an odd direction. <clears throat> My last film was a movie about Klaus Nomi. It was called The Nomi Song, and Klaus was a um, 
a German who lived in New York, and he became pretty uh, pretty big in the sort of new wave scene in uh, in the East Village at the time, like the late 70s, early 80s. Right. And uh, he was playing in a lot of clubs and getting really, really popular, and they wanted to kind of test the waters and see how he would do sort of outside the East Village enclave. Mm-hmm. And Klaus's act, he, he kind of presented himself as this sort of out, uh, creature from outer space. <laughs> and uh, he wore makeup to look like an alien, and he had this sort of space suit that was uh, very triangular-shaped, and he had these two dancers who also were kind of dressed like aliens. And somebody got this idea, you know, he wears makeup and funny costumes, and Twisted Sister wears makeup and funny costumes. Um, you know, maybe there's a there's an overlap here, and that he can appeal to Twisted's audience. So they booked him into uh, a club in uh, in suburban New Jersey called the Soap Factory in Palisades, New Jersey. And he came out on stage and sang an aria from uh, a French romantic opera by Sanson, and immediately the bottle started flying. I mean, right. it was like insane and had to be like pulled off the stage for his own protection. <laughs> and it was a really, you know, sort of a funny story. And I have to say, at the time, I didn't really know that much about Twisted Sister, okay. but I knew enough about them that when I heard that Klaus had opened for Twisted Sister already, I thought this was hilarious. So I had to have it in the movie. And uh, I got in touch with Dee. I got in touch with Dee, and he, was, he told me uh, uh, the whole story, and it was really funny. But then when we were shooting, he wasn't able to do it. Okay. So he passed me on to J.J. And, uh, boy, I had no idea that J.J. was such an incredible storyteller. And he was in the movie. He was great. And at the end of everything, I was over at his house. I had to show him the clip because I, I used a little bit of Twisted's music, and I just had to make sure it was their music and not a cover song because... This was Twisted Sister in the Bars. This was 1980, and they did a lot of cover material, and I right. just had to make sure I wasn't going to get in trouble. So I showed him the scene, and, um, you know, he liked it, and I just kind of hung out there with him for a while. I think it was in the end I was kind of there for the whole afternoon. And he just started telling me stories about Twisted at that time in the clubs. And, um, you know, in the movie, he, he sort of uh, he says that, that the whole – a you know wild eruption in the club was basically you know he was the, the the audience there in suburban New Jersey was being given a taste of New York City performance art mm-hmm. you know there in a suburban bar and uh, and what he was starting to tell me about what their act was like and what their performances were like it seemed to me that this was just as much performance art as what Klaus was doing it was just a whole other for a whole other audience right. And J.J. refers to this kind of thing as bar band shtick, but to me, just hearing it cold like that, it just seemed like another kind of performance art, and that was kind of, and I thought that was really interesting. And at first, I, I thought, like, I would just like to do a movie about that, you know, the, the kinds of performance that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And the more I talked to Jay, and the more I talked to other people sort of in that scene, and the circle kept widening, I realized that there was truly a story there, and, and it was kind of an epic story, actually, as it turned out. So... Um, and I, I think you answered this. You weren't a fan of the band uh, before you started no. this project, correct? No, I knew very little about them. I mean, I knew enough about them, obviously, that the mm-hmm. image of the band was in my mind. Right. But uh, more than that, no. I, I came in for the story, to tell you the truth. Cool. That's uh, and it. It sounds like an interesting story. I like that take about you know looking at it as like you know performance art or whatnot. Um, yeah. Did you, uh, was it hard to sell this idea to the band, or did they jump right on this, like, right from the beginning, or? Um, it took a while, partly because, um, 
it, it was like sort of a process. I mean, it, okay. it, it, you know, it wasn't like I walked out of the, of, the, of the apartment that day and said, oh, my God, I've got to make a movie about this. <laughs> I really thought it was interesting, and it, was a, uh, it took me a while to sort of talk to them further. I mean, I called J.J. many times and, uh, and had discussions with him. So, you know, it was almost like there was no set decision being made to do the movie, but it just kind of grew and grew and grew until it was clear that I was doing it. Right. And once that happened, yeah, they were on board with it. Um, that was no problem, but it just it it kind of took a while because I didn't really know him. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so it was a, it was a little bit of a while before uh, we got comfortable with each other, and then it started you know expanding exponentially. Right, so you needed to establish the trust between yeah. you and the band to to get the uh, yeah. tell the story correctly. Um, what period? Of the band's history, does this uh, does this uh, documentary cover? Because I know they've been around forever. I mean, their first album, like when they got signed, was came out in '82. I know they had a long history before that with the bar scene right. and, and the club scene. And then, does this cover primarily the early history, or does it go, you know, all the way up until you know more recent times? Well, it goes all the way up until <clears throat> basically "Stay Hungry" is about to be produced. Right. And that's really kind of the coda. The the real ending I, for me is when they do that show at the t- on the tube, mm-hmm. um, the K TV show where they um, they 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 had like a twenty minute spot. They closed the show. They completely destroyed everybody in the studio <laughs> and at home. And then the next day got signed by Atlantic Records, who I might add was the very record company throughout this whole story who was who basically believed they were shit and was telling everybody they were shit. And right. there was one guy who was trying to sign them, and they told him, the next time you open your mouth about Twisted Sister, you're fired. <laughs> they ended up being signed by Atlantic Records. So oh. that's really the end of the story. But there's a, a little coda that comes sort of after that that takes them up to uh, uh, the beginnings of Stay Hungry. And it really begins right at the very beginning with J.J. in uh, 1973, where he first discovered um, a Bowie. Right, right. So this uh, even takes place before, like, Dee Snyder joined the band and, and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, and I guess, you know, J.J. Yeah, French, French has always said there was, like, you know, 12 or so incarnations of Twisted Sister and a lot of that was, you know, switching drummers around and things like that. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because I don't think a lot of people know the early history of Twisted Sister. I know, like, the VH1 and stuff usually covers the, uh, you know, they did behind the music, covered more of their, after they were signed and things like that. Um, So, and you wanted to focus mainly on, what about that club scene did you find most interesting? Um, Well, it was about them learning to be Twisted Sister. Right. Which I think is sort of an interesting, it's about a band becoming a band. And, you know, you said J.J. says that they went through, like, 12 incarnations. I mean, that's a little bit extreme to say that. I mean, yeah, if you count every time a drummer switches, sure. But, I mean, really there was maybe, let's see, one, two, three, four altogether. Uh, At least, yeah, about four different versions of Twisted Sister, including the the one we all know. Mm -hmm. And, um, And people came in, people went out. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. You think of a band as being like four or five guys that, you know, are friends. They get together. They have, a, you know, some sort of a, uh, ambition to do something, and they just go forward. Right. And it never really occurred to me how much uh, chance there was involved, 
how much, you know, people actually putting ads in, the, like, a mm-hmm. newspaper for people was involved. Um, you know, and... and uh, Trying to a, find... I, I didn't realize that, that it could be such a process. And, you know, it's not like, you know, the fall where basically you've got Mark E. Smith and 49 other people who come and go. I mean, mm-hmm. this is really a core group, but still within that group, there was changes in evolution and whatever. Finding the and right chemistry. I that was interesting. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I kind of never really thought thought of it like that before and also i think a lot of what's in the movie too is about this the business of being a band which i've never seen in another movie just what's really involved in being a band and how that works right and maybe just as an abstract concept it doesn't sound all that interesting but actually it really is because it's all about really dealing with problems and dealing with with disappointment and dealing with things that you try out that like blow up in your face and you have to figure out a way to go on or to reinvent yourself or to try something different or, uh, you know, uh, um, it's really a lot about problem solving. And in a way, I found for me as a film director, it was very, the story of the band was very similar to the story of making a film. You know, mm-hmm. You're constantly at war with the outside world right. and you're always trying all kinds of strategies to advance yourself. Now, I know uh, right now you've got a uh, crowdfunding campaign going on through uh, Indiegogo, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's uh, 12 days left, so hopefully we can uh, get this out and, and, and help you know generate some publicity. Uh, uh, how close to the, is the uh, film to being completed? Um, I basically, in terms of the editing, I've done as much as I could do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've watched it a couple of... I had a, a test screening of it some weeks ago, and it went really well. And uh, and we've been doing corrections and stuff, and I really reached the point where there's nothing else to do. So now it's just down to the technical work. Right. Um, we need the online. We need the mix. I have to replace uh, some archive material that I'm getting for the British TV um, for the Tube show. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all kinds of rights clearances that have to be done. Right. Um, titles, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it, you know, as much as I may be right at the end, there's really a lot of work that still has to be done. And this is kind of, a lot of it is expensive work because it's purely technical uh, and also with the rights, I mean, there's not much you can get as far as, I can make a, I can do my best to make a good deal, but, you know, these people are not my friends. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Far from it. So uh, it just costs money. And I should say, you know, Twisted Sister in the Bars was really known in the beginning for being a great cover band. Yeah. And part of why this is so expensive is we do have cover material in the movie. I mean, at first I thought, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to stay away and save some money. And the more I got into the story, I realized that was a very important aspect of of what they were doing and who they were. And no. uh, so they do two Bowie covers. Mm-hmm. They do a, a Lou Reed cover and uh, and Judas Priest. How uh, how much archival material is there? I mean, did you have a lot of hard time finding a lot of this archival material? I'm sure the band had some, um, but you know, with no, the band had a lot. Okay. Uh, the only problem was just getting JJ to go down to the basement. <laughs> that was the biggest problem. And right. once we got that out of the way, no, it was fine. I mean, there's hours of material. Is there? Um, any, will we be seeing material yeah. like of them? You know, not playing. You know, did they have? You know. You know, band meetings, they were recording and things like that, or is this just going to strictly no, be no, like... No, no, Yeah, right. Okay, it's just like no. concert footage and, and a lot of stuff that... Concert footage, a lot of photos. Um, there actually is footage of the very original band. Oh, wow. 
like the original original band, and there is one scene in like the manager's office with them. So that's about as close to what you're talking about. Okay. Um, but yeah, most of it's like concert stuff. But um, I'd like to think you know that 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 material is woven into the story pretty well. And I, did you ever see the, the, there was a movie about Ian Dury a couple of years ago. Uh, I can't remember no. what it was called, but they had these sort of uh, sequences in the movie where they would stage shows that he was in and uh, the shows would kind of be almost like a little bit of a narration of what was happening in the movie. Right. And we kind of do that with this. It's not quite as... Uh, done, so to speak, as that movie, but there really is a lot of back and forth between them on the stage and them telling the stories of what's going on, and it's all very related, and in some way, I think it, it kind of, it's almost like a musical in a way, I mean, right. it might be a bit of an exaggeration, but there's a ton of music. Uh, it's not like, you know, somebody's talking about playing a show here, and then we cut to the show there. It's really integrated into the scenes and what? into the story. Cool. I, I'm actually, you know, getting excited to to want to see this right now. Just talking to you. Um, have you? Uh, do you have? Have you started thinking about distribution yet, or is that uh, you're still ways from that? Uh, I'm still working on it. I'm talking to a couple of people, but the film is, you know, I really want to wait now until the film is is totally done. Okay, I know. So, um, this is going to happen now. These kinds of talks are going to start happening now. Uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Right. Right. Now, I know uh, 2014 is the uh, 30th anniversary of uh, the release of Stay Hungry. Is there any kind of plans to try and coincide the film with the release uh, with the uh, anniversary of the as album? As much as we possibly can, yeah. As much as we possibly can. If I, you know, the sooner we can get a decent distribution deal, the better. And it would be uh, great to be able to sort of uh, coordinate those two things for sure. Cool. Cool. Well, um, I mean, what's really, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, what's really great is that that Twisted is really, you know, over the last few years, their profile has really been constantly um, rising. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're not, you know, the funny thing was when I first started doing this, I, I would tell somebody I, I was doing a movie about Twisted Sister, the first response was, oh, whatever happened to them? They broke up, right? They're not still playing or anything. And I'd go like, yeah, they're playing in Sweden, you know, like in two weeks or whatever. And people would look at me like they were aghast. <laughs> they just were really shocked. But um, they're really out there now. And J.J. tells me they're doing better than ever. So, um, you know, I'm, I, and I will say this. Not only do I hope that we get the public of the people that are seeing them in the shows, mm -hmm. but um, I've shown this a couple of times to people here you know, had some just test screenings to see how it would play. And nobody in these, uh, there was only one person in one of the shows who would, uh, uh, admitted to being a Twisted Sister fan. And I have to say it went over really well. You know, you don't have to be a fan to appreciate the story at all. No, I mean, in, in, you know, just the way you describe it too, it's just, you know, seeing the trials and tribulations of a band. I mean, this could relate to a lot of different bands and, you know, Twisted Sister is just, you know, a great example of how, going from the club scene to, uh, you know, stardom and whatnot. Um, yeah, and I was going to ask, you know, the test screenings and stuff, how many of those fans, people who've seen it, have been fans of Twisted Sister, and it, it's good that it no, speaks nobody. to everyone. One guy, one guy. And I have to say, uh, in all honesty, at the end of it, he was a little bit flummoxed because he expected the story of Twisted Sister from 1984. So he was a little bit surprised. So based on his response, I put in like a little, how shall I say, 
um, a coda on the coda so that you know what happened to them and everything. Right, right. Um, and it's a little bit clear what the connection is between the story I'm telling and the band that you know. But uh, other than that, uh, it went over quite well, actually. And, and I'll tell you one other thing which was kind of interesting is that there was a point in this where I was doing all this research and I was collecting a lot of stories from people, not only just the band, but a lot of uh, some, some fans, record company people, club owners, whatever. And uh, I was kind of getting excited by the material, but unfortunately it was a really hard sell as far as financing was concerned. Right. And I just was getting gonged literally all over the world. And I kind of reached a point where I thought, like, you know, maybe I'm the only person that thinks this is interesting. <laughs> so it turns out that up the street from me is a bookstore, like an English-language bookstore. Mm -hmm. And they started having this uh, series of readings where it wasn't like you come and you read things that you wrote. It was people who just would come and read things that they liked, like you could bring a book that you liked and read a little excerpt or whatever or from an article or whatever. Okay. So I just went there and I brought some of these interviews. <laughs> and I thought, well... You know, if I bomb out, like, I don't know these people, I can slink off into the night and nothing's going to happen. But just to see how the whole thing goes over. I didn't say anything to anybody about what it was. I just said, you know, these are some interviews that I was doing uh, from a band in Long Island. And uh, I started reading them, and it went over pretty well. I mean, people responded pretty well, and I came back to the next one. I read it again, and it became like a regular thing. You know, it was once a month, and I came literally every month. And it was really good for me because, number one, it was a good confidence builder in terms of, yes, people do think this is interesting and people right. do like it. Uh, and the other thing was that it helped me a little bit organize the, the material and how I would present it. You know? And then uh, it came to be that my cameraman called me up one day to tell me about how he just bought this camera. Uh, and I said, you know, we should just do it. And <laughs> we did it. I don't know how it happened, but we just did it. And um, so, so then I came back and I started reading stories from the interviews that we were doing from the film, and it kept going. The whole thing went on for like a year. Wow. And uh, so, I mean, that could help uh, generate some excitement, too. Yeah, and then at the very end, I had a screening at the bookstore, because they used to have a film series, so they were set up to show movies there. Okay. And I thought this would take the whole thing full circle, and people from the reading group would come and they would sort of see where this all led to and all of that well nobody from the reading group came it was we got a, a full house i think maybe 40 50 people which is about as much as you can fit in there right and uh there were maybe only three people that i even knew and it went over really well so i mean for me that was the test cool Cool. And uh, I mean, it's like, like, you know, like I said, just listening to you, I'm, I'm really excited to see this and uh, I can't wait to, to, to what comes out. All right. So, um, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know it, it's late where you're at right now. So um, I, I want to thank you for coming on the air and, uh, and talking to us um, again. The movie's called Twisted. Uh, we are Twisted Fucking Sister. Um, and you've got an Indiegogo campaign and that's uh Right. Indiegogo.com, and I'm sure you can just search for the Twisted Sister once you get to the site. Um, is there anything else you would like yeah, to add? Yeah, the other thing is you can go to the Facebook page, okay, uh, which is Twisted Sister the Movie on Facebook, and there are all kinds of links to the uh, to the Indiegogo page. And also, I should say, if you go backwards on the Twisted Sister uh, Facebook page before December, 
a lot of these stories that I was reading at this bookstore are on up on the page, and and um, I have to. I'm happy to say I got a really good audience for it on the Facebook page too. Cool. I mean, it's not, it's a great project, and uh, wish you all the luck with it. And I can't wait to see it. Thank you. Uh, all right. Thank you. All right, a big thanks to Andy Horn for coming on the show, talking to Sean about the new Twisted Sister movie he's working on. Probably the easiest way uh, for you to get a hold of uh, Andy and find out about the information for the movie, the campaign, go to facebook.com forward slash Twisted Sister the movie. Uh, right there in the URL. It's easier than giving you the campaign homepage, etc. Like the page, keep up to date on all the cool stuff. They're adding incentives to that. Uh, left and right so it's really cool and uh, kind of a neat thing I I think a lot of people like myself uh, learned about Twisted Sister with we're not going to take it you know drag queen busting through the door but uh, you go back and listen to their club day stuff the really really early stuff uh, really a phenomenal band uh, I think a lot of people kind of considered them sort of a two hit wonder in some respects which is just absurd when you listen to their stuff so check that out some really cool pictures of D back in the early days with the guys so you'll enjoy that also if you're a fan of uh, Twisted Sister we had AJ Rowe on one of our back episodes if you go to ironcityrocks.com click on the podcast link you can find that episode it was really really great to talk to AJ I think we talked for 45 minutes I'm not even sure uh, if half of our conversation made it to the podcast a really really cool guy so check that out now we're going to uh, switch gears to an artist who also is returning to Iron City Rocks this is Axel Rudy Pell uh, ARP as they're called uh, by many of their fans Axel uh, was a guitarist in the band Steeler back in the uh, early days of his career and then he went solo um, as we talk about in the interview with the economics of a band from Europe uh, who don't have triple platinum albums coming to the United States in this day and age is not all that good um, so this is a band unfortunately we don't get to see much other than on a DVD you know a um, live from Vakken kind of thing Axel Rudy Pell uh, honestly don't even remember when I first heard him I had happened to kind of stumble across their video on Netflix uh, back when Netflix used to have DVDs, um, and got this band in concert because of the singer, Johnny Gianelli, who was in the band uh, Hardline, who had that hit with Hot Cherry uh, back in like 91, 92, somewhere in that uh, ballpark, the band he was in with Neil Sean. Um, so I was familiar with the vocalist and uh, gave it a listen, and, and Johnny's voice, and, and Axel is, as we talk about in the interview, a very much... Uh, sort of a student of Richie Blackmore's guitar playing, so you're going to hear a lot of uh, particularly rainbow-influenced guitar in this band. Uh, Axel has an incredible guitar tone, though a really great uh, great song, strong choruses. So I encourage you to wholeheartedly to listen uh, to this interview and also check out the new album, Into the Storm. So we're going to play uh, some of the one of the singles off of that new album, and then we're going to take you into that interview with Axel Rudy Pell. Where did 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome back to the podcast. We have joining us the great Axel Rudy Pell. How you doing, Axel? I'm great, John. Thank you. I hope you too. Yeah, going very well. Uh, you guys are um, just about to drop a new record here, uh, I, I guess probably worldwide, but in the United States in particular, Into the Storm. Um, I wanted to get a chance to talk to you about that record and, um, you know, catch up with, with things that are going on. Unfortunately, we don't get a chance to see in North America as, as much as we'd like, so it's a good chance to educate everyone on the band. Um, you know, talk a little bit about, I know, you know, you have two members of the band now who are from the United States, and I don't know if they right. reside now in Germany with you, but um, how do you guys write as, as a unit, or did you kind of bounce riffs over the Internet to each other? Yeah, actually, I'm working by myself. You know, when I'm writing songs, um, I'm only working working them out at my in my apartment in my uh, you call it working room or something like that. You know, so I'm collecting ideas and melody lines and riffs, guitars, thingies all over the year. You know, right. as soon as a melody or something else comes to my mind, I press the recording button of my voice recorder of my smartphone. You know, okay. to, to get the ideas for the moment, and later then I'm I'm working on that real track. So. Actually, um, when we're recording, of course, the new drummer Bobby Roninelli is based at the East Coast in uh, New York City. Right. Um, he flew over to Germany and we recorded the drum parts here. And uh, with the singer, with Johnny, it's a little different story because he, because he has his own studio. He's located at the East Coast, too, in Connecticut. Okay. And we, we're Skyping to each other, you know. We see each other on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a PC and uh, we can talk to each other and we go in song by song um, get the melody stuff and all the other stuff together and it works, works out pretty good yeah that's an interesting way to do it I, it's it's funny you mentioned doing it to your smartphone it's almost like the phone has become the new Tascam 4 track you know, right from, exactly from it's only for getting the ideas you know sure I'm, I'm sitting there with my digital recorder after that mm. weeks and months after that and sitting down and I, I'm still making a list of pieces of sheet you know and I'm writing down okay Probably uh, idea number 28 for my voice recorder fits perfectly to idea number 786, you know, <laughs> and I'm putting these little things together. And, of course, I'm doing real demos on my, my digital equipment then. Sure. Now, do you do um, do you produce the records yourself, or do you work with a producer? Yeah. Yes, I produce everything by myself. I, I still have a, a co-producer, but he's mainly an engineer, and uh, <laughs> sometimes he will bring the whip into the studio to whip me when I'm when the guitar solo is not, I'm not playing right or something. You know? Yeah, I can't imagine that being too much with your playing. Um, let, let me ask you one of the things that I, I've always noticed about your uh, um, records, you know, even before Bobby, uh, is that you always have a very full drum sound. Uh, you know, and Bobby, I noticed that in just listening to the album a couple hours ago, uh, how yeah. You know, you feel like you're almost right in front of the drum kit. Is there anything in particular you do with with the drums, or do you guys mic them differently, or? Oh no, it's just you know, you know, we have we have the luck to to record in a in a very good recording studio owned by the German band Blind Guardian. Actually, they have a quite large drum room, mm -hmm. and the drum sound, the 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 main sound, I mean the, the natural sound of the drum kit, especially Bobby's uh, Bobby's drum kit, is sounding huge, so huge and big, it's so powerful. You know that it's very easy for us to get this on on the on the record. You know, so yeah. I mean, I, I noticed that it it sounds. You know, I don't know if it's the you know like you said the room, the reverb, what it is, but it is a novice right. to the drums. Um, I guess one of the things that I've always loved about your records is the tone you get on guitar. Now, obviously, you know, live when we see you, unfortunately, like I said, in the United States, we don't get to see you live much, right. but on DVD, we always see you with with the Stratocaster. Um, is that the guitar choice when recording, or do you mix up gear and do, you know, like some Les Pauls and things like that behind the scenes? 
I'm sorry, I didn't get it right. You want um, to talk about the equipment for the guitar? Yeah, I mean, do you mix up guitars to get that full of a sound on your record, uh, you know, recording different layers of the tracks with different guitars, or is there something in particular you do to get that, that tone on the record? Um, you know, no, it's not nothing really special. You know, what I'm, what I'm doing when I play the rhythm guitar, I always play two rhythm guitar, two track rhythm guitars for the, for the left channel and for the right channel. Okay. And, uh, actually they're pretty much mixed together, but, with, of course, modified pickups in there. I'm using the Dimasio H3 pickups, and I'm using an Ibanez Tube Screamer as an effect pedal, and uh, this whole set runs through uh, Engel amplifiers, Engel okay. Powerball 1, and sometimes I mix it up with uh, Pot XT, it's something like a little little effect. Mm-hmm. And I always, um, yeah, I'm always using that in the studio, actually. Yeah. Okay. So you use a um, like on on your angle. Do you use a relatively clean sound and then rely on the tube screamer for that for that tone? Uh, no, no. I think the the main sound which comes out of the angle amp is still is, is distorted. But I okay. put something a little bit of a tube screamer on top because there's something little extra touch. I don't know the magic. <laughs> yeah, I, the I magical guess. touch. Yeah, that, that that's funny how many really classic guitarists you know uh, you know with these incredible sounds come from a tube screamer and how diverse right. the sounds you know you think of like a, a Stevie Ray Vaughan and then I think of your guitar sound it's not anything alike but you know it's a key ingredient yeah. to both so that's that's fantastic. Yeah, you know, and I mean, maybe I'll tell you all the people like Eddie Van Halen used to say uh, the sound is in your fingers you know you can't yeah so yeah <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, we all we all weren't blessed with those fingers that Eddie Van Halen had. Unfortunately, so we rely on the, you know, try right. to cheat with gear, I guess. Yes, um, yeah. So let me ask you this: you know, as as I mentioned, you guys are you're based out of Germany, and uh, you've got you know a couple guys from the United States. Uh, Johnny has, I think, a lot of people probably will remember Hardline, uh, who yeah. had a, a pretty good hit in the United States with uh, Neil Sean and stuff in the early '90s. But um, do you guys? Um, See, trying to, to tackle the North American market, or is that just too difficult with you know logistics and things like that? You know, we always try. But, you know, like you said, you mentioned that we have two guys in the band who are actually from America who are still living in America. I always mm. ask those guys to say, "Hey, guys, what are you thinking about doing a probably a short four to six week American tour?" Mm. And both guys are telling me, "Actually, that's that's not possible because this kind of music is kind of dead in the states." You know. Yeah. So, Actually, we would play maybe in front of 60 or 80 people, you know, and that wouldn't cover the the big amount of costs we have already. You know? No, absolutely not. Yeah. And, yeah. And it is unfortunate because when you think of, you know, I, I think as an American, you know, hard rock, melodic hard rock fan, you know, right. it, you think of bands like Halloween and even like Doro and stuff. But, I mean, they, they, there were bands that probably had more commercial success in the 80s and are able to rely on that for name recognition. Exactly. You yeah. know, where I think, you know, if, you know, it's almost kind of ironic to say, but if you were to tour under the name Steeler in the United States, yeah. you probably would have a better uh, time of it with marketing and things. But um, I was just curious, you know, with the inroads of satellite radio and things like that, if if your music, you know, obviously gets played in the United States, hence I'm talking to you. I was I discovered uh, your record. If if you know if you ever looked at touring, um, right. Now, as far as 2014, obviously you, you're, the, the new record's coming out on SPV Steam Hammer here in the United States and in Europe. Um, what about tour plans over there? Oh yes, actually, we we just um, we just about to start a tour in a, I think in four weeks, okay. three or four weeks. We actually start the first leg of the European tour. Um, 
for a few weeks, and then we have a few festivals coming up in the summer, and also the second leg of the tour is scheduled for the for the fall of 2014. So luckily we can play in Europe, um, yeah, as much as possible, as much as we want, you know. Yeah. Now, do you guys do a lot of like the the festivals and stuff? I mean, that's one thing that I think Americans are kind of jealous. You know, you guys. Oh yeah, definitely. Because you know, in the last a couple of years ago, I mean, since yeah, since the beginning of my solo career 15 years ago. Uh, we we played on every big European festival you even can imagine. You know, we played the the big, the huge Wacken Festival. I think mm-hmm. we played there four or five times since then. The last time two years ago, or one and a half year ago, we played mm-hmm. at the Sweden Rock Festival. It's also a huge festival sure. in Europe. We played a couple of times. I think three or four times we played at the Grasspop Festival. And you know, it's it's, it's good. You know, sometimes. Um, we have we're playing in front of eighty five thousand people, you know, that's that's great, you know. Yeah, wow, I can't imagine. And they're not running away, can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's one of the things, you know, that I, I always thought about your music. It was just a matter of getting it out there, you know, right. to break the markets when you listen to it. You know, you guys have got, you know, very melodic hard rock songs. Uh, you know, Johnny makes the choruses very easy for people to sing along with, not obviously as well as he does. Right. But um, you know, it's approachable music. You know, it's not like you're you're singing, you know, German death metal or something like right. that. Um, let me ask you this: um, Bobby, in particular, Rondinelli, obviously has a, a pretty impressive resume. How did you guys come to work together? You know, actually, it happens when uh, when my former drummer Mike Tirana, uh left the band because he has some timing scheduling problems with his mm-hmm. other project and. Uh, Actually, I was looking for a new drummer, and uh, a huge, big, my, 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 a big mate of mine, a big, big friend of mine. His name is Horst, and he uh, was still in contact. He knew Bobby since the old Rainbow days, beginning of the 80s, and he still was in contact with this guy uh, because they're writing emails to, for for Christmas or for birthday and for for any other things, you know, and. When it came that Mike left, and, and I, I asked, was, can you give me the, the number or the email address of Bobby Raninelli? Because actually he was one of my top top drummers, you know, on my mm-hmm. list. He said, of course. And I, I wrote an email to Bobby, and he replied, and he said, actually, I, I heard about your name, but I don't know anything about your music, you know. And I sent him mm-hmm. some MP3 files, I sent him some YouTube links, and he watched it. And he said, well, that's absolutely my kind of music. I would love to, to play because uh, I'm available. And I said, well, great. You know, I, I don't have to ask any other drummer. I don't have to have any audition or something like that. You know, it's very easy. So luckily, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the kind of music he's played with Sabbath and, and, and things like that, I mean, right. it's a great fit. And I think that's, you know, one of the things I'd like to impress upon our listeners is, you know, if you're a fan of a band like a Rainbow, uh, right. you know, ARP is, is right up there. Uh, is that uh, one, of the, one of the thing I wanted to ask you uh, before I let you go, on the... Uh, Bonus tr- one of the bonus tracks you did, Way to Mandalay, um, mm-hmm. from Blackmore's Night. Uh, I was just curious on the selection of that. And, you know, there are some similarities when I listen to your playing to Richie's playing. Um, was that Thank one you. of the reasons that you chose to go with that song? Um, yeah, one, one of the reasons is absolutely clear, because he, Richie Blackmore was the guy who started me to to take up the guitar, pick up the guitar, you know. It was my, my first idol I had at the beginning of the 70s when he mm-hmm. was in Deep Purple, of course. And um, it happens that I always liked this, this song, Way to Mandalay. Um, of course, it's a different arrangement what Black Moss Knight did on, on, a, on sure. their record, but I always liked the song. I always liked the melody and stuff, and I said, well, this could be a could have been on a Rainbow album, you know, with sure. different kind of, uh, with a male vocal 
maybe if Ronnie Dio sang that song on the first or second rainbow, I mean, actually, it would be, it would, I think it would be perfect, you know. Mm -hmm. So we changed the arrangement a bit, and um, yes, actually, I think it works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny, you know. I, I think a lot of people kind of dismiss um, Blackmore's Night uh, because of the type of music it is. But when you really dig into it, and I know, uh, you know, especially their latest album with his uh, tribute to John Lord is just fantastic. Uh, you know, and a very, very easy to overlook material from, from Richie. You know, I think everyone would, you know, still yearns for the day when Richie, you know, would pick back up and, you know, maybe meet up with Graham Bonnet or something like that for a little bit of a right. hard rock. Yeah. But, you know, certainly not, not to overlook Blackmore's Night, though. Fantastic uh, music they make. And Axel, yeah. I, I want to thank you for taking the time, uh, calling in and, and joining the show. Thank you. Uh, Into the Storm is going to be released again by SPV Steamhammer, and with any luck, you know, maybe we'll see you, uh, you know, on an American festival at some point in the future. Thank you. Hopefully. Okay, thank you very much for your time. Giant thank you to Mr. Axel Rudy Pell. Uh, AxelRudyPell.de, I believe, is the website. You can find the new album, Into the Storm, iTunes, Amazon, etc. It's on SPV Steamhammer uh, label, so that's the uh, same label that brings you the greats like Doro and Motorhead and things like that. So check that out. Uh, get yourself a copy of the album if you enjoyed the song. Uh, like he said in the interview, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to see him in the United States, but if you're one of those lucky SOBs that's going over to Europe uh, for the summer to check out the festivals, uh, ARP will be around quite a bit. Also, Twisted Sister, the movie on Facebook, Andy Horn's uh, new project. Looking forward to seeing that. We want to thank him as well for coming on the show, Sean, for doing the interview. Invite you to check out ironcityrocks.com, facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks.com, twitter.com forward slash iron city rocks and yeah we're even on instagram too uh, i want to thank uh, a lot of new fans uh, iron city rocks has had its i believe fourth annual or maybe third annual my mind's getting a little hazy in my old age uh, iron city rocks music awards uh, where we take and basically in the month of december open it up to anyone to nominate a band i don't want anyone to be under the mistaken idea that we nominate the bands or pick bands to be voted on. These are 100% fan-driven votes from bands in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, the top six in each category become the finalist. The finalists are then opened up and voted on by fans. I don't vote. Sean does not vote. Aaron does not vote. Eric does not vote. No one affiliated with Iron City Rocks votes on this, so it is 100% you guys. Uh, so we got a lot of great new exposure with that, a lot of new fans. We had almost twice as many people vote this year, so we'll be announcing the winners of that soon. Also, take a moment, uh, just going a little editorial about local music. I think uh, a lot of people um, want to support local music. Iron City Rocks is no stranger to that. We love our hometown rock. We love your hometown rock uh, because those are the bands that inspire uh, and become the national bands, the worldwide bands, you know. Axel Rudy Pell was somebody's local band at one point. Kiss was a local band at one point. So take the time to get out and see the bands in your area, support bands, musicians, etc. Also, for the people that seem to want to hate on our music awards uh, for saying that the bands suck or the bands are from not from Pittsburgh, um, invite people to relax a little when it comes to what is a hometown band. I mean, Western Pennsylvania is not New York City. Um, so a band from 15 miles outside of the city limits of Pittsburgh is still a Pittsburgh band. Uh, and if, if you're a person that can't see that, best to just unlike the page and drop off the podcast. We don't want you to listen anyway. 
We invite any and all musicians. We invite any and all fans. All we ask is that you love music and try to be respectful of one another. So, that being said, come back around to 2014. You can vote on those again if you like. Uh, invite you to drop us any and all feedback. IronCityRocks at gmail.com. Uh, we read every email and, and respond to every email. So your feedback is always welcome. You love us, you hate us. Go ahead and let us know. We'll still engage you. Also, iTunes, we love the feedback on there. That helps us. Uh, the downloads help. Um, so we appreciate that as well. Also, a shout-out uh, to the Classic Metal Show. Uh, it was brought to our attention uh, by a gentleman who lives in Florida now that he discovered Iron City Rocks from the Classic Metal Show. And the Classic Metal Show, uh, if you're not familiar, is a very Howard Stern-esque sort of shock jock uh, metal podcast. And they took one of our episodes from um, uh, about a year or so ago and, and kind of trashed on it, which is kind of what they do on every one. Um, but hey, hats off to you guys. You got us exposure, so we appreciate that. Uh, and not to mention that we had about 200 times as many people listen to that episode of our podcast as did there. So hats off to you guys. Classic Metal Show. All right. I want to thank you so much for listening to the show. I've rambled enough. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>